Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com. This is Olivier Gruner. You are listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. I'm your host, Joseph Clark. Each episode, we speak to the biggest names in martial arts and combat sports, from the UFC, Bellator, the Olympics, as well as martial arts legends, pioneers, and cinema stars. We discuss best practices, perspectives, and philosophies, using martial arts as a metaphor for life's goals and challenges. Over the next hour, I will feature my interviews with UFC fighter Max Griffin, Bellator fighter and Olympic medalist Satoshi Ishii, Hollywood martial arts film director Art Camacho on working with Steven Seagal and some of the biggest names in martial arts cinema, and Sifu Rob Moses on working with David Carradine and Brandon Lee in the Kung Fu television series and movie of the week. Welcome to our new syndication network affiliate, Auto Radio, out of San Francisco, California. That's Auto, O-T-T-O, Radio. It's great to have you aboard. Martial Arts World Radio connects with audiences through distinctive and compelling guests and content across radio, online, and mobile platforms. If you would like to add your station to our network, or if you would like to advertise on the show and sponsor our Celebrity Fighter interviews, reach out to me at producer at mawradio.com. This week's inspirational quote is from Dan Inosanto and goes as follows. You don't know if your art will save you. None of us ever do. All you can do is trust that it will. Dan Inosanto, student and friend of Bruce Lee, master in Jeet Kune Do and Filipino martial arts. Our interview with UFC fighter Max Griffin is brought to you by BobWallWorldBlackBelt.com the world's foremost online martial arts and MMA marketplace. Prospect Fighting Championships at ProspectFights.com and the books The Tao of MMA and 21st Century Perspectives on Martial Arts. Both books are available at Amazon by searching The Tao of MMA and 21st Century Perspectives on Martial Arts. Max Payne Griffin is an exciting fighter with the UFC. His pedigree as a martial artist and his qualifications and experience prior to the UFC are extraordinary. He has a professional MMA record of 13 wins, 3 losses. He was a participant on The Ultimate Fighter Season 16. He fights out of Sacramento, California in the welterweight division. He's 31 years of age, 6 feet even, 170 pounds. His favorite striking technique is the straight right cross. Max Griffin, welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Max, what originally attracted you to mixed martial arts? Well, when I was a kid, I have a background in martial arts as a child. Um, got my black belt, was in um, Bach Fu and other things. And as I grew older, I used to watch UFC on TV. You know, like, wow, what's that? 
um, it's like the purest form of combat. I remember watching like blood sport and stuff with my dad and, you know, different kind of things. And, um, really interested me. It's like real life blood sport. So I got into it and here I am. Max, please share with us your martial arts journey because you started training quite early in life. Yeah, I started, I started when I was four. Um, I started, it's called Bok Fu. It's like a white tiger kung fu kind of adaptation, but it, it's really a mix of a lot of different things. Taekwondo, karate, kung fu, judo, Japanese jiu-jitsu. It's a bunch of things mixed in one. Because not everything works all the time, right? I mean, it looks cool, but to apply certain techniques don't work in real applications. So box fu is kind of a mixture of the things that work. So, like, you know, lifelike application. And that's what I've done from about 4 to 13 um, I went to like the world championships a few times. Um, it was my life. I even was supposed to go to the Olympics, but since it's every four years, I was at the tail end of my training. And you know, when I got to high school, I, you know, I was, you know, growing up, turned into a teenager, like, oh, I'm not gonna do karate. You know, too cool for that. And Olympics was like four years. It was like three years, you know, later in the in my life. So I, I just hung it up max was your dad a martial artist no but he took me you know when i was a kid it was like our thing you know it sounds like you were quite dedicated for someone so young though yeah so i think now it helps me a lot to focus and uh, make it happen discipline's real strong did you fight as an amateur max or did you go right into the professionals I've had about 30, 40 amateur fights and uh, did really well, you know. So we did like a lot of even like sports, jiu-jitsu, pancreation fights, all kinds of fights, kickboxing, I'm an amateur kickboxer. I'm always the ultimate real combat, welterweight champion. That's like the biggest show as an amateur in the United States. But uh, I feel like you need to be amateur, you know, get your feet wet, see what it's like. Don't just go into the pro. and I mean, people have success in that, but... Now, be honest. Do you have a favorite martial arts film? I'd say probably Blood Sport, maybe Kickboxer. Who was your favorite martial artist from the golden era? I thought Bruce Lee was pretty bad. Um, I liked a lot of uh, Jackie Chan. I remember watching those, a ton of those. You know, Rumble in the Bronx. He did all his own stunts, all the playing to him, Jet Li. Even now, Ang Bok, you know, Tony Jaw, they're badass, man. It's like a, a lot of good guys. Yeah, I have to agree. Tony Jaw is a really entertaining fighter to see in cinema. And to see Muay Thai choreographed for cinema, that's really impressive as well. Oh, yeah. it's It's all real, too, you know? It's stuff that can really happen to people. Max, do you have a favorite MMA fighter? Myself, I mean, there are people that I, you know, like. Uh, Bones Jones, who I think is the greatest. I mean, that's who I'd want to see. You know, that's who I haven't met that I'd want to meet. But uh, myself, personally. And that's an honest answer. Max, would you take us back to your first ever amateur MMA fight? 
walk us through that experience. What was going through your heart? What was going through your minds? The ner- your mind, the nerves. Walk us through that, would you please? I had to drive all the way up in Oregon because back in the day when I was fighting amateur, they didn't have amateur fighting in California, like legally. So we had to go, you know, to Reno, um, Nevada, Oregon, travel around. And uh, they sent me up with this guy, Jeremy Hunter. I want to say he was 3-0, and three knockouts with one punch. Each each, each punch, like he, he threw three strikes in those three fights. He threw one punch, knocked the guy out three times. So he was like the hometown hero. Um, it was Emerald City Fight. Emerald City Fight Series or something. Anyway, we drove up uh, with my coach, trainer, Justin Ewan, some other guys, rode up there uh, in the truck. It's like an eight-hour drive. Yeah. Up there, um, Springfield, Oregon. It's real rural out there, you know, real rural. And, um, yeah. you know, I fought, it was real racist up there, I'll tell you that. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Kill that N-word, you know. Oh, man. Yeah. And I went in there and knocked that fool out in, like, 30 seconds. Wow, that crowd must have really loved you then. Now, yeah, there was mixed emotions in that crowd, you know. Well, that would be my next question about the crowd's emotions. Did you, in fact, win the crowd? Did you get their respect from knocking him out? Yeah, I won some of them. You know, the ones that weren't all the way racist. (laughs) You know? Max, walk us through your first UFC bout. What was that like? Man, I'll tell you what. That was a... It was like a dream, you know, honestly. It was a dream that happened. It's a dream that really happened. I mean, I've been wanting to get signed since I was a kid, you know. Um, so the, to to finally be called up, and it was surreal, you know. All this stuff happened around here, meeting all these people, signing all this stuff, and sure, everything. and it's people don't know how. To me, it was overwhelming, you know. And it was my performance showed, you know. I didn't do anything right. I was just. Uh, it was a dream. I remember even when I was in there, like looking at it like third person like even when they called my name you know bruce buffer was out there just looking like bruce buffer is saying my name you know what i mean it, it it was i was i was like not in the moment you know it was surreal even seeing him jump and say my name and like this is like really happening it's like i was just overwhelmed by like emotion you know but you know I lost, I learned, went out of my shield. Um, I learned, you know. It, it taught me a lot about being in the moment. Talked to Cerrone a little bit in the back after. and you know, it is what it is. You know, I think I am in the UFC, you know. Had a tough fight, but I learned you have to be focused. And I learned, I learned a lot. I've grown leaps and bounds since that fight. And I think my last fight proved it, you know. Max, did you experience any self-doubt, or did you feel confidently that you deserved to be there? So I knew I was ready, but my, I was physically ready. I just was not mentally ready. How so were you not mentally ready? I mean, I was so prepared. Just looking back, how I knew that even is when I went home. Three days later, I'm at home, sat on my porch, and I, 
I still didn't believe it. I still didn't believe it. Feel like it didn't happen. Like it didn't happen. None of it. It was weird. It was really like it was. It was like out of body experience. I'm spiritual and stuff. So how did you come to terms with that? I saw a sports psychologist, you know, and I and I, and I talked to people like it wasn't you, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, and it really wasn't. You know, I wasn't there mentally, like. Like, I just wasn't there, and I talked to some of my, I got different people I know, and um, people that know me really well, and they said, hey, you weren't there. I thought, you might like, like, look in your face, like, my mind, my mind is somewhere else. I wasn't focused, I wasn't centered. And then I saw some help, uh, Dr. Bregman, sports psychologist, and uh, that was, like, the for sure trigger, you know. I told her exactly what happened, how it went down, and how I felt, and... You know, they said I was not there. I wasn't mentally in the moment. I wasn't. And given the circumstances, that's a very understandable and human state, you know, state of mind and state of emotion. How did she help you? Did she have specific techniques or exercises for you to help you come to peace with this situation for next time? Yeah, she had me doing all types of um, exercises on being focused being deliberately focused like i was basically training my brain to focus to really know how to focus you know it sounds sort of like zen meditation where you're trying to clear your mind so that you're existing in the now and you're focused just on the now yeah so in in, when i'm in the moment i win i've won every single time that i've been in the moment and my losses of my career it was all mental you know like i had you know, some stuff was happening at the home, my home life, or, you know, there was always moments, even before the fight, that I knew that I wasn't focused, you know. Are you conscious or aware that there are things that are happening in your life that are distracting you so that you're able to be self-aware and say, oh, get back on track here, don't let this take away from training or take away from your mental focus on the up- approaching fight? Totally, even training, you know when you're tired and whatnot. Um, I spent a lot of time in Tahoe with my coach. Spent a lot of time in Tahoe with my coaches. And I had to do a lot to really buckle down and focus. I mean, your mind is separate from your body. And you have to understand that. I mean, when I feel like I'm going to die... I have to continue, right? You don't have time in the cage to not. So it goes for a circle. You got to instantly focus. And um, what I've been learning with that is the ability to force your body no matter what. Max, have you ever had to use your martial arts training to defend yourself in a street fight scenario? Yes, when I was younger. So then how does the adrenaline dump and maintaining your composure compare in a street fight as opposed to a bout in the octagon? Honestly, it's probably harder in a street fight. Um, Now it's to the point where you're so prepared. You know, like the hardest thing I've ever fought in Mexico, right? Um, It was big, you know? The thing, too, about Mexico was the elevation, so I really couldn't get that adrenaline dump, <laughs> you know. Sure. Uh, 
the cardio, you know, I was doing a lot of stuff for the cardio, but situation being booed by so many people, you have to kind of cut it off and disconnect, you know, don't let it affect you, which, you know, makes you be focused. I think, uh, you, the preparation helps you do that, but on, on the street fight, it just happens. Bam, go, 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 go. You know, it's more yeah. life or death. Yeah. So I think you don't even think about it on that, honestly. So, Max, words of wisdom for our listeners who are amateur fighters who are considering going professional. I would say um, fighting's not a joke, you know. Um, in, in my regional days, I fought a lot of good amateurs. They used to say amateurs is tougher to fight in because the people are fighting love it. You know, you're not getting paid. And um, I think that's the case in the lower levels of, of being a pro. You know, I think a lot of the higher-level amateurs are better than a lot of lower-level pros, honestly. But if you do go all the way and do make it to, you know, the bigger shows, the UFCs, um, everyone is so good. And um, it's a lifestyle. You know, if you're, if, you know, I was fortunate enough to be an amateur champion. I mean, I worked my ass off to be there. But... You notice a lot of guys do just half-ass, they half-ass this, half-ass that. They don't really want it. They just they do it to be cool, and you know they end up getting hurt. And you know you leave, you just got to make it worth it. I mean, you lose a lot of family time, personal time. If you want to be good, you have to you make those sacrifices. So I just say, if you are amateur, want to go pro, it's serious, and um, it might not probably not for you. <laughs> it's it's no joke, you know. It's a tough road, so just be prepared, you know. That's it. Max, thank you very much for a very educational and interesting interview. Congratulations on your career, and you are an accomplished mixed martial artist. Thanks once again for speaking with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. You have been listening to my interview with UFC fighter Max Payne Griffin. This is Olympic Taekwondo silver medalist Nia Abdallah. You are listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Our interview with Bellator fighter Satoshi Ishii is brought to you by Kayani Independent Distributor Daniel Jarej. Kayani, K-Y-A-N-I, is a leading provider of all-natural health and wellness products that provide athletes with faster post-training recovery and energy. Endorsed by professional fighters and celebrity martial artists Josh Tyler, Manny Pacquiao, and Jackie Chan, reach out to Daniel for more info at Australia at gmail.com. Don't let the Australia throw you. He'll answer your, he'll respond to you from anywhere in the world. That's Australia at gmail.com. Or Skype Daniel at that exact same address on Skype, K-Y-A-N-I, Australia at gmail.com. Satoshi Ishii is a Bellator fighter and a Japanese judoka noted for winning a gold medal in Olympic judo at the 2008 Summer Olympic Games in Beijing, China, a silver medal at the 2006 Asian Games, and two All-Japan Judo Championship titles. Satoshi, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. No problem. Satoshi, please share with us what your training regimen is like in preparation for an approaching fight. Twice a week, I work on physical, crossfit, lift weight, and uh, five times a week, sparring, twice a week, more technique. And what are the most challenging aspects of training and preparation for you? 
every day I challenge, you know, new new technique or new you know new things. And do you have a base or foundation style that you consider your main martial art? My base is uh, judo, of course, striking, kickboxing, and also grappling. You know, but the base is judo. When I when I sparring, when I do sparring, I try always, you know, judo throw and use the judo technique, use my advantage. Satoshi, who do you depend on in your team to help you in forming your strategy for a fight? Gegar Musashi. He's a training partner, and my coach, and my good friend, brother. It sounds like you have some good support there. Yeah. And I always nervous, you know. I think, but I think everybody gets nervous. But I like I like feel nervous and uh, get pressure, you know, and the pressure and the nervous makes me more strong and focused mm-hmm. and sharp. So I need I need feel pressure and uh, nervous. And Satoshi, what are your intentions in anticipation of this fight? I will do my best. I I try to show uh, what I what I did training. Satoshi, from who do you draw your inspiration? Giga uh, Musashi. You know, good friend. He, he's my inspiration. What makes you unique and distinctive from other fighters? You know, uh, I think uh, ju- uh, judo, judo skill. Because nobody uses in light, heavy, light heavyweight and uh, heavyweight. You know? And uh, everybody difficult to training judo defense and judo stuff so i think this is a unique and that would make you unique because although there is an emphasis on brazilian jiu-jitsu and various forms of grappling you don't see as much traditional judo in professional mma yes i have to transition you know satoshi when you are fighting you appear to be very restrained patient and relaxed are you generally an intense person, or are you a fairly restrained, relaxed, and patient person in everyday life? Uh, I never, I, I never feel uh, you know patient like uh, like relaxed, but uh, uh, like normal, normal. <laughs> and normal is good. Satoshi, how how does Bellator differ from other fight promotions whom you fought for? I like, I love Bellator. Lot of event, I think uh, most big event in in the world. Satoshi, when you're not training, how do you like to occupy your time? Uh, well, I, actually, I'm boring guy. So watch movies, uh, <laughs> listen music, uh, taking pictures, <laughs> and uh, drinking wine. <laughs> That's it. Satoshi, that doesn't sound boring at all. In fact, it sounds like a great way to pass some time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And Satoshi, what goals do you envision for yourself? What goals have you set your sights on for the future? I want to I wanna become a champion. I want to get a better to a belt. Satoshi, on behalf of everybody at Martial Arts World Radio, thank you for taking the time to speak with us, and we wish you all the very best on your approaching fight. Thank you.
This has been an interview with Bellator fighter and Olympic medalist Satoshi Ishii. Our interview with accomplished martial artist and Hollywood action film director Art Camacho is brought to you by our web marketing affiliates Everlast, Century Martial Arts, MMA Warehouse, and UFC Store. Check them out at our website at mawradio.com. Art Camacho is an award-winning action film director who began his film career as a stunt performer and actor, appearing in various films and television programs. He made his mark as an action choreographer and has worked on over 30 features, including Steven Seagal's Half Past Dead for Sony Pictures. He went on to successfully direct feature films. Among his recent films are Sony's Half Past Dead 2 and Lionsgate releases of Crooked and Confessions of a Pit Fighter. Camacho not only directed Confessions, but wrote, co-produced, and choreographed the action film which starred Armand Asante. He has since gone on to work with some of the biggest names in martial arts cinema. Art himself is a distinguished martial artist with an interesting journey, as he will now share. Art, welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. Oh, thank you. It's really a big honor for me to be on your show, brother. Appreciate it. Art, let's begin with your film work, because you are a martial artist who is a successful choreographer and fight coordinator, producer, director, Please elaborate on your film career. Yeah, you know, um, I started out um, pretty much doing uh, martial arts and films, being the fall guy. And, uh, and, and the, the funny story behind that is, is uh, <clears throat> my Sifu is Eric Lee, Kung Fu great Eric Lee. I got a call out of the blue one day, and he says, Hey, Art, Art, do you want to do a film, get 50 bucks? And I thought, cool. I thought I had to pay 50 bucks. I didn't understand. But I said, okay, cool. I'll go out there and pay 50 bucks and get my butt kicked in the movie. And uh, I go down to the set, and and, uh, and I didn't know that you wear elbow pads and knee pads and all that stuff. So we did this film, and I was flying everywhere. Just, I mean, hitting the ground, walls, you name it. It was fun. It was like, to me, it's a kid in a candy store. <clears throat> and And in one situation... This martial artist, who will remain nameless, <laughs> he kicked me in the chest. I went flying back, which was fine. Take number two, the kick went a little higher. Cut, go again. Take number three, he actually raised the kick so high that it hit me solid on the throat. And what happened there was that my uh, I already had timed it so so well that by the time that impact went on my throat, I literally went like maybe three, four feet flying backwards and landed solid on, on, the, on the floor. And uh, in my head, you know, when you're doing these films, you know, until you until you hear cut, you pretty much stay on the floor. You stay, you know, you're dead <laughs> for all intents and purposes. And um, what happened is I'm, I'm there on the floor, and in my head I'm thinking, oh, shoot, you know what? I must have missed the timing. I screwed the guy's kick up. You know, I, I, in my head I'm thinking I, I screwed my whole career, my first movie, and I'm fired. And nobody else cut. Nobody else cut. You know, and I'm lying there with my eyes closed, thinking, you know, I'm fired. They're going to yell at me. And I open one eye, and I look up. And there's like four or five people standing over me. And and I go, guys, I'm sorry. They go, sorry, we thought you were dead. You know, because they saw me get kicked in the throat and just stay there solid on the ground. So they thought I was unconscious, and I was thinking I was fired. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, the... the <laughs> So the director said, let's bring that Mexican back again. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> and so, and literally, literally, from then on in, I was getting calls, you know, once a week, twice a week. How about coming in this film, that film? Because I was really, as, as a, you know, as a kid, I used to be a big Bruce Lee freak. And I was, I was actually pretty good, and I am pretty good at, at, uh, at stunt fighting. 
and so uh, so that evolved into uh, choreography, fight choreography. And, and then everything was evolutionary because the bottom line is that when you're doing these films, especially the independent movies, the bottom line, you have to be not good. You have to be great and efficient and fast because time is money. And so, so I, I really prepared myself. I started studying cameras. I started studying, you know, lighting and, and angles and stuff like that to help me prepare. So every time I'd go to a set as a stuntman, I would kind of, you know, you work out the choreography and you work out the, the you know, the, uh, the, the gags and everything. And then what, what I would do a lot of times is stand behind the camera, always watching what the camera was watching. Not what I was seeing as a martial artist, but what the camera was watching. And that's what eventually led me to directing. And then, you know, then by happenstance, different different circumstances led me to writing and eventually producing these films. What a great story. Art, would you please fill us in on some of the highlights of your your action and martial arts film resume and some of the other stars that you've worked with throughout your film career? You know, my, my uh, one of my, my compadres, my, my brother-in-arms is Don Wilson. Don the Dragon Wilson. Him and I have done so many films. I've directed him in four features, and I think I've choreographed like 25 of his movies. And um, and, and and it's really fun because it's like working with, with well, again. He is a friend, and he's, he's he's family to me. So so when we go and work together, it's it's like fun. It's vacation. It isn't work anymore. And another, uh, you know, a lot of people. I mean, I, I can the list goes on endless. I mean, Cynthia Rothrock, uh, Richard Norton. Uh, Benny the Jet, I learned a lot from him. I worked with him years ago. I learned so much from him. He's so cerebral, so cerebral and so calm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much chaos all around you, and Benny will be right there, just so centered, and it's amazing. Uh, and one of the highlights, I think, in my career was working with Steven Seagal. I, uh, I got a call out of the blue with this producer I hadn't seen in years, <clears throat> and he asked me, he says, hey, Art, do you want to... Um, work with Steven Seagal, and at first I was like, wow, this is cool, absolutely. And then he goes, well, you're going to be in Germany for three months. And then I thought, well, I hate traveling. <laughs> you know, so I had to think about it. And um, and the funny thing was that uh, on that film is that initially they wanted me to, to, you know, to read with the director to be the fight choreographer for this movie called Half Past Dead. And um, and I met with the director, and he wanted more of that, uh, the, the Chinese Hong Kong style with the cable work and all that stuff. And I've done it, and I can do it, but that's not my forte. Mine's more Western-style fighting. And so uh, so we met. Everything went well. And they called me up, you know, like a week later. They said, hey, Art, you know, we talked to a lot of people. And, you know, he had talked to Donnie Yen and some of the big boys. And I'm thinking, wow. I said, hire those guys. <laughs> those guys are phenomenal. And they said, well, we did hire uh, Yin Yin Yong, which is, uh, you know, a guy from Hong Kong. and But we still want you on, on film on the film, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, why? I mean, you, you got a, a phenomenal, you know, choreographer that, that that is in sync with the director, and you got a stunt coordinator, but they they felt more comfortable. This came from Sony. They felt more comfortable having me kind of oversee everything, you know, work with each one of those departments to kind of oversee it because of the, the director. This was his first time, not his first time, I think it was like the second or third big film. And so there I was, going to Germany and with Steven Seagal. And that was such a highlight in my life. I still, to this day, because I was, you know, I'm a, I told you earlier when we spoke, is I'm still, as long as I've been doing this, I'm a kid in a candy store. Art, what inspired you to become a martial artist in the first place? Initially, to be honest with you, <clears throat> I started the martial arts because um, 
two things, Bruce Lee and and uh, and, and when I was very young, I got uh, jumped by by some gangbangers. You know, five six guys jumped me. I have you know eleven stitches over my right eye, stitches over my head, and uh, initially I just wanted to you know to, to beat the heck out of people. That was my main motivation for studying martial arts, because I was this fat, overweight kid, bullied and everything else. And I thought, you know what, I, I, I got to do something. There was so much rage inside of me, and and so I started training for that reason. It wasn't until later that I met, you know, with uh, Sifu Eric Lee and some of the great people that I've trained with, you know, over the years. You know, Richard Bastille, Danny Nosanto, that I that I uh, evolved and saw the martial arts and life in a different way. But at first, it was just you know what I want. I want to take someone out. <laughs> now, Art, I can't help but feel that there's something there's something deeper under the surface here. Something that really was motivating you at a point in your life that was very crucial for you to get into martial arts. You know, one thing that um, that I carry, and again, I don't know if everyone's the same way. We probably are. I can't, you know, I don't feel bad about it, but um, I've I've always had a low self-esteem. Really, from a kid, I mean, I was I was a victim of a lot of bullies, and uh, in fact, it's so funny because the first two girls that I was madly in love with, I would have married them at 15. <laughs> you know, they both turned me down, and and so so basically, my my esteem and my my uh, you know vision of my my self-worth was 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 zero. And um, and so really, I mean, by all accounts, I should not even be doing what I'm doing in life because I really had nothing going for me. I was extremely overweight. You know, I was the kid in school, the last one they pick on sports because I, you know, was terrible at sports and uh, extremely fat and just, I mean, um, you know, and I'm not saying that as a, as a pity way. I'm just I'm just stating facts. And so I really, I mean, I always was in this fantasy world. When and when I when I saw my first Bruce Lee movie, it was Chinese Connection, and uh, that just blew me away. That film, I'm telling you, brother, I became such a fanatic. I remember every weekend I would save my allowance and go to the over here. We uh, we have we call them swap meets. I don't know what they are over there. That are you know. Uh, um, where, where all these people sell all these all these all these used things and all that fun stuff, but I used to buy every Bruce Lee poster I can get my hands on anything I can get my hands on Bruce Lee. I became such a fanatic and so uh, you know mesmerized by what this man can do on on film and how he looked and how he expressed himself, and and it just so happened at that time is when when I again going back to what I said earlier, I ran into a situation where where you know just. Being at the wrong place at the wrong time, I got jumped, and so so those two things combined pushed me in the direction I'm going, and and I to this day to this day had it not been for again for Bruce Lee's influence in my life and the martial arts, I probably wouldn't be around. I mean, I really believe that. Art, would you run us through your martial arts resume because you have a diverse background in martial arts? Yeah. I started out in, in Japanese karate. I started in Taekwondo, and it was good, but I just didn't feel at home. That's when I was competing, and I just didn't feel that that was a perfect fit for me. But I trained, nevertheless. And, uh, and then I went to the uh, Kali Academy for a while with uh, with Daniel Santra and Richard Bustillo out there in uh, Torrance over here. 
And at the same time, I, uh, I went to a seminar with uh, Sifu Eric Lee, and that is where, you know, it's, it clicked with Eric Lee. It just clicked. Everything just kind of, you know, felt. This was, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but, but this was my home. You know, and so so that's when I started really, really training hard, and stayed with him. And you know, I got my degree, my uh, my black belt under him. And then at the same time, I did amateur boxing, amateur boxing, and, and it was fun. It was fun because I wanted to get the contact, I wanted to, to get the feeling of that. And so what I started doing is just feeling, you know, feeling my way around in the martial arts. And every time, you know, going, you know, as I progressed into movies, I'm always picking everyone's brain. I'm always, whether it's Kung Fu Sun Tzu, when I worked with Gerald Okamura, or kickboxing with Don Wilson, or even with Steven Seagal, you know, learning a little bit about Keto. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I, I really, I, I see I see the martial arts as such a broad spectrum, and there, there's room for everything. I think everything has an element of truth in it, and everything, you know, whether it's, it's karate, Kung Fu, and, 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 and that's what I started doing with my life. I mean, I started applying the martial arts thinking the martial arts philosophy to my life and basically you know as we spoke earlier i really do believe martial arts is is life and life is martial arts art do you have any advice for our listeners who are martial artists that would like to pursue a career as an actor or a stunt performer in martial arts cinema i i think the most important thing is to uh keep uh, train 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 and second most important thing is treat this as a business. What is it that, what are the needs of the business? You know, what, what, what skill sets do I need to develop? Because I get this so many times over the years. I get so many martial artists who are phenomenal martial artists. <clears throat> but on film, when I, when I try to see how they can, they, they can um, do something on film, they're terrible. And they think because, oh, I can throw the best kick in the world, I can throw the best punch in the world. That's almost irrelevant. If you look at all the films out there, you know, really all the films out there, whether, you know, whether, I don't know, The Born Identity or something like that, I mean, you can create great screen people. You can create fantastic fights. You know, a, a case in point is look at the movie Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, the greatest martial artist, you know, on the planet, his movie, the, the, um, the star of it was a gymnast, you know? I mean, uh, Jason Jason Scott Lee, I think, phenomenal guy, great actor, beautiful body, the whole nine yards. But he wasn't, you know, a black belt. He wasn't a, a master of martial arts. They made him look good on film. So, so again, the most most important thing is train in martial arts. Secondly, train in the specific skill sets: screen fighting, acting. You know, whatever it is, whatever direction that they want to take in, whether it's choreography, whether it's acting, or whether it's stunts, find out what the skill sets are needed for those particular areas and perfect that. And then the, the, the third thing, network. Network, network, network. Get out there. Get to meet people. You know, because eventually, God willing, you will get your opportunity. And sometimes it's, you get one shot. And if you blow it, people don't forget. <laughs> Art, it has been a real pleasure as always. Thanks very much for joining us, and we look forward to speaking with you again, once again, real soon. Take care. Oh, thank you so much, and I want to tell you, man, I am so honored to 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 be considered and be interviewed on your show. I really am, and I put on my heart. I appreciate it. You got you got a brother for life here, brother. You have been listening to my interview with Hollywood martial arts film director and distinguished martial artist Art Camacho. 
Sunday, June 25th, UFC fighter Alex Ricci is hosting a Muay Thai seminar at Bruce County Combat in Walkerton, Ontario, Canada from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Everyone is welcome. No experience necessary. $25 per person. Contact Bruce County Combat and Fitness to book your spot at 519-507-4431 or email them at brucecountycombat at gmail.com. This is world champion Steve Nasty Anderson. You are listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Our interview with Kung Fu master and co-star of Kung Fu The Legend Continues, Rob Moses, is brought to you by ketone specialist Regan Bremersch. Keto OS is leading a modern health revolution through therapeutic ketone technology. Mix this great natural 100% bioidentical ketone powder into a 16-ounce bottle of cold water for a great-tasting drink for peak performance. Within 15 to 30 minutes, you'll be in the optimal training and fight state of ketosis. He doesn't just say it can do it, he can prove it. For more information, contact Regan at 1204 522 Again, you can call or text him right now at 1204 522 or visit www.proveittoday.ca. That's www.proveittoday.ca. Sifu Rob Moses began his study of Kung Fu 40 years ago. From 1982 to 2009, he was the late David Carradine's martial arts instructor and choreographer. Throughout the 1990s, Rob played Master Khan in Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. In 2002, he was inducted into the United States Martial Arts Hall of Fame. In 2007, he was awarded the Soki title by the International Karate Schools of America. And in 2010, he was awarded, awarded his 8th degree black sash by the Thai Mantis Association. Rob, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. From 1982 to 2009, you were David Carradine's trainer. Would you take a couple of minutes and tell us about that experience, Rob? Uh, sure. Probably, uh, you know, some of the best times of my life are all thanks to David. Um, I had been um, just glued to the TV set watching the original Kung Fu show, and that's when Cam Ewan was, uh, was running the things. And uh, shortly after I got out of high school, which was uh, around 76, um, I had been pretty much, I like to say, brainwashed from watching that show so much. So um, I got a chance to sign up for Kung Fu, and just fate took me into Camuans school. And so after about three years or so into it, that's around when Lone Wolf McQuaid, the opportunity to train David for that. So I had been doing Kung Fu. I hit it hard right in the beginning. I was doing about eight hours a day. So... um that's how it began, was um, I got to start working with David to train him for Lone Wolf McQuaid after the original series had ended. And was David Carradine a legitimate martial artist? You know, David Carradine was one of the smartest human beings I've ever had the privilege to know. And he was an incredible athlete, one of those guys that could, like, throw rocks with his toes and stuff like that. Great song and dance man. And uh, he hadn't had a lot of martial arts training prior to uh, the original show. But, you know, when you spend that much time doing fights on film, you, you start to get good at it. Um, his needs were specialized, to say the least. 
for uh, uh, how I needed to work with them as opposed to uh, just your basic customer. Now, in the 1990s, you played Master Khan, a recurring role in Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. Please share that experience with us. You know, that was a lot of fun. I had already been hired up there, you know, just for the duration of, uh, of the series and uh, as David's trainer. And they got me into Canada as a weapons expert, which was because I was, um, you know, skilled in the, uh, the, you know, the Shaolin weapons. And so coming in, a lot of it was, well, what are we going to do with this guy? You know what I mean? So um, there's so much training and then there's so much time, you know, it's long days. Uh, eventually, you know, well, was willing to shave my head, so we started playing in extras in the background and all the temple scenes, the flashbacks would be there. And then towards the end of the first season, we were uh, going to film an episode called Dragon's Wing, and there was another gentleman who was already in hair and makeup, and they're ready to go. And uh, there was a, a glitch in the program, I'll say. And they were, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This guy's walking, right? And uh, the coordinator at the time was a gentleman named Mike Vendrell. And uh, he just says, let's use Raw. And that particular episode was one, it was a take on the Magnificent Seven, uh, which was, you know, like the Seven Samurai. So I had, for lack of a better term, uh, James Coburn's part. They just threw me in on the cuff, and that's when they had to name me. And then from the rest of the series, I got to be that character, which was cool. Yeah, I finally got a name. I hope that explained it. Oh, it did indeed. It did indeed. And and so you were filming in Toronto, I believe, correct? Yeah. Wonderful. I'll tell you, uh, um, you know, cold noses, warm hearts up there. Uh, I've got God kids up there now. That was quite possibly the best four years of my life. Some of the friends that I've made, I, I still am in contact with. And um, I get treated real well. What a wonderful city Toronto is. So, Rob, during the four years that you were working in the Kung Fu series up in Toronto, were you given the opportunity to frequent some of the Kung Fu clubs here and get to know people in the local community? Well, the fun thing was uh, I almost I really didn't have to. The closest people I got to was uh, the Chow Clan. You know, uh, Mo Chow was a liaison to, to the show. And so his son, Ian, is also a, a Kung Fu master. And, uh, and his brother, Ho, who used to do a lot of work on the show, um, so they were kind of the first people to really treat me as family, but luckily but working on the show, most of the folks in the local schools all would come in to be at to do extra work or some of the events would, um, you know, I wound up beating a, 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 quite a bit of the different local schools and the local people and, you know, but the ones that are family, you know, it was like the Rupert Harvey with Golden Harmony and then the, uh, you know, the Mo Chow Kung Fu School, which is also divided now into the uh, Northern Lake Southern Fist uh, School. So I'm still in pretty good standings with those folks over there. You were inducted into the Martial Arts Hall of Fame, and you also received the recognition of the Soki title, I believe, from the International Karate Schools of America. How do you feel about that? It's really an honor. Um, you know, I feel, just feel real good about it. You know, you, uh, I've always had the need to create. So um, looking at things a little different and uh, upside down backwards and cross-referencing uh, techniques brought me to discovering uh, some ideas that I had called nine palms. And those uh, nine palms wound up 
going into Black Belt Magazine, and someone who had read those uh, actually nominated me for a Founder of the Year of 2002. And so that was really awesome. And uh, the Soke Award was uh, a dear friend of mine, a 10th degree Black Belt, um, Floyd Burke. Uh, he um, presented me with that, and uh, to this day, it's, it's uh, I'm just floored by it, you know. But it's legit. I do have my own system through different perspectives, and uh, I'm just thrilled, you know. I don't think about it much often until someone asks me, but um, it's, it feels good. It feels real good. So, Rob, please relate to us your system which you are manifesting. I'm working in a uh, a whole different... In a, the way energy moves, let me sum it up like that. Like I'm looking at the flower of life and the Fibonacci sequence and the sacred geometry, and water and electricity and magnetics have similar behavioral properties. And I'm tapping into that form of, uh, of movement now, which feels closer to a, you know, flying or swimming. You know, I'm working with, uh, like, divine code corridors. It, it sounds confusing, but it's actually just the water behavior, which is similar to what Bruce had said, be like water. And I've figured out how to create waves and funnels and, you know, vortices with, with that. And so it's kind of a world peace modality. I've been honored with... Um, an ambassador to Universal Peace Award from the United Nations for it, and I was also lucky enough to uh, uh, be involved with the Modern Mystery School in in Japan, and uh, those folks are real big with the World Water Healers. So I'm really my you know purpose and intention is to turn the original intentions of Kung Fu, which were actually like meditative, and that uh, you would mimic animals. Uh, what I'm doing now is I'm mimicking the universe. We're working with uh, uh, galactic themes and um, uh, you know that side of nature. Instead of beak and talon, I'm using more more fins and wings and and so much with uh, a, a water and whirlpools and just immaculate self-expression. I'd like to say in the sense where you burrow into the wind and it's a timeless modality. It has nothing really to do with competition. It's pure creative energy. And how long have you been working on this system, Rob? Well, I had, um, came up with nine palms. This is a fun story. Thank you. That's a great question. In um, December 8th of 1999, I really remember that because it was David's birthday, and that was when I first came up with the ideas of the, the nine palms these nine configurations that a person could use to express everything at the time I had learned about martial arts. And after I had conjured up that way of thinking and moving, suddenly I started listening with my skin a lot more, as opposed to just getting hit or out of the way or, or doing all the martial stuff. The nine palms got me kind of more fascinated in just moves, just moving, really felt great. And that understanding of self led to um, more experiments. I started out with pieces of bent driftwood down at the beach, and I found certain um, shapes would not allow a person to be hostile. And it was more inquisitive. And I started finding this 
fascinating energy, and then I went ahead and had prototypes made. Now I'm working with what's turned out to be uh, nature's golden spiral and the uh, the phi ratios. So I build these apparatuses, and I use them as, as personal guidance systems, and they help me to uh, swirl like how seashells are. But instead of smattering and hitting things where your sure. spirit and your soul kind of, you know, everything's splashing, I'm pouring things and maneuvering through and actually uh, like hitting wormhole continuums. It, it, I, I hate to sound too scientific-y, but um, it's so much fun. I mean, it is so much fun. And I really feel that, you know, if we had world peace, this is what people would be doing. They actually spin faster than regular sticks of staff, and they have a, a way where you kind of uh, burrow through the cosmos. Yeah, and yeah. all the movements are quite related to uh, Yeshiva's teachings. I hate to do this so abruptly, but I must sign off. I congratulate you on your accomplishments along the way of your journey, and thanks for including us in that journey today. Just fascinating. Would you be kind enough to mention my website or anything? Oh, please do, yes. Go right ahead. Okay, well, I got two. One is SifuRobMoses.com, and then it leads to a GoldenSpiralWellness.com. GoldenSpiralWellness.com. Yeah, GoldenSpiralWellness.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, thank you, Rob. This has been an interview with legendary martial artist Rob Moses. Be sure to check us out at MAWRadio.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube by following Martial Arts World Radio. I'm Joseph Clark, and as always, thank you for listening. Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory, Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com.